From Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Marcel. Thanks for joining me on this uh, midweek edition of the podcast. Uh, I usually try to do one on Sunday night to release on Monday, but things got a little busy this weekend. Um, as some of you might know, I had to hung out with Christy Mals on Saturday night for a story uh, that we published at auburnundercover.com about the a game kind of behind the scenes thing on Christy Malzon, what she does during the day on a game day, and also what it's like just to be a coach's wife. Um, uh, I hope it turned out well. The response has been overwhelmingly positive, which is great. Um, and I want to thank Christy Malzon for allowing me to take a peek into her life. Um, this is something I've been trying to do on some level, or at least talk to Christy on the record, uh, for about six years. So... Um, it took some doing, but, uh, got it done. Finally got to write it. And, uh, I'm glad a lot of you have been enjoying it. So Auburn, uh, beat Kent state 55 to 16. Y'all know that. What did we learn from the game? Not much in my opinion. Kent state's pretty bad. They're, they just are. They're, they're not a great team. They need a field goal and overtime to be an FCS team. I don't care how highly ranked that FCS team is, but, um, the thing that, that continues as a trend are, is the slow start by the defense, which I can understand to a certain extent because they're poking at opposing offenses to see what will work. And then they kind of move on from there. But to be frank, I mean, at this point, when you're getting into week four, if you don't already know what a team is most likely going to run on offense going into week four and you're trying to test some things, that's a little bit of an issue um, when you're on the road specifically. Um, and that's that's the challenge Auburn faces this week against a very good Texas A&M team on the road. It's the first road game of the year for Auburn. Um, it's going to be very difficult. We'll talk a little bit about that, of course, here on the podcast today. This this podcast more or less is going to serve as a long uh, Q&A session. Uh, I asked for questions uh, from a lot of you guys on Twitter and uh, got an overwhelming amount of responses. So I'm going to try and go through those here later in the podcast while also sharing some of my thoughts just on football and where things are moving forward. Um, the, the big news coming out of that game more or less to me was injuries and where does Auburn stand health-wise because its injuries have all occurred pretty much with their biggest players. You know, Anthony Schwartz injures his hand August 5th, has to undergo surgery. Um, Derek Brown gets injured um, against Kent State and is held out of the second half. Uh, Seth Williams gets injured after a 40-yard catch against Tulane in Week 2 and has had to be held out in week three uh, against Kent State. Um, Cedric Jackson, a guy that no one really talks about, a receiver, he's been held out since the Oregon game for an injury he suffered. 
So Auburn's been dealing with some nicks and bruises and things um, that just take time to heal. They're not, you know, season-ending, obviously. And then, of course, Prince Tego Wanigo at left tackle um, sat out the Kent State game uh, to rest an injury. So here's here's what I could tell you based off what I've been hearing, and, and we've reported some of this as well. I believe Anthony Schwartz, obviously, he's been getting healthy week to week, but I believe Anthony Schwartz is very, very healthy. <laughs> Let's just put it that way at this point. Um, there's a plan in place for Auburn uh, involving his cast that he's been wearing on game days. He's going to be wearing a different contraption. Um, I'm not going to reveal it here, but I'll get into the details of it and three things I know, three things I think in my VIP piece at auburn.247sports.com. But he's going to be able to be freer, so to speak, to be able to catch a ball and not be so awkward because he's been wearing a cast that's pretty much been halfway up his hand with his fingers free from the cast. That's still cumbersome. Can you imagine trying to catch something with a pad in your palm? Uh, it's difficult. But he caught a pass last week against Kent State, and I've, I've been told he didn't drop a single pass in practice last week, which is incredible uh, to me. Um, Pritz Tega, I think he's going to play. Um, they've been trying to rest him. We'll see, we'll see with him. Now, if he doesn't play, Auburn's obviously going to have to shake things up. But I... I it would be shocking to me if Prince Tega doesn't play um, at left tackle. Um, one player that I haven't really mentioned is DJ Williams, the true freshman running back who had a heck of a spring, a guy that a lot of us think uh, could potentially be the number two back behind Whitlow as far as like an every down guy. Well, I'm told he's, you know, he's able to play. He had been battling a hip flexor. It's just, does Gus Malzahn trust him and put him in the game plan? on the road in an SEC environment and that be his first game. It's going to be tough. I know Gus Malzahn was really, really hoping that they'd be able to get Williams ready in time to play against Kent state. And it just didn't happen. So that might hurt him as far as trying to play in one of these top tier SEC games that are coming up, particularly A&M after that, you've got Mississippi state, which isn't as good as A&M right now, but still could be a threat to you. So we'll see what happens with Williams moving forward. Derek Brown, the defensive tackle, I'm told he's good to go. Um, you know, that could change unless something happens this week. He worsens the injury or something like that. But he did practice on Tuesday. He, they plan to practice him again on Wednesday. I'm told that he, I mean, Gus Malzahn says contusion, and which is a bruise. <laughs> he has a bruise of some sort. So he's going to play against Texas A&M. Um, so going into this game, it, it's, it's the healthiest Auburn's been, but the big question mark is with Seth Williams at receiver with his shoulder shoulders, everybody reacts differently to shoulder injuries, whether it's, you know, the shoulder popping out, et cetera, out of the joint. Um, you know, is there any ligament damage, ligament strain? How does the body react to it? And, um, it, it remains to be seen how Seth Williams deals with it in practice this week. He, he did practice Tuesday. He was in non-contact. He will not be hit or pull, pushed by anyone for that matter. They're not, they're not going to allow him to be you know flag football push or anything like that. 
but it just depends on how his shoulder reacts throughout the weeks. If something pops up, he could be sidelined again. But I do have some VIP intel. I know it's like a salesman, right? I just can't give it away for free. I got some VIP intel on Seth Williams um, and how he's performing in practice. That's up Wednesday morning at auburn.247sports.com. And three things I know, three things I think. I'll stop selling <laughs> for for right now so that those that's the big thing to me that came out of the game which is it wasn't Bo Nix going 12 of 16 passing um it wasn't three players rushing for over 100 yards against the 115th ranked rushing defense in the country um it it was the injuries and how those guys are moving forward um the one that just broke my heart and and really this is one of only a few times maybe the only time I could think um Sunday uh, night, we spoke to Gus Malzahn on a press conference, and he was announcing his helmet stickers of the week. And Bailey Sharp, who made his first start at left tackle, uh, earned the offensive helmet sticker. Um, he had 12 pancake blocks and um, grayed out at 86%. Great numbers. And then, like 20 seconds later, Gus Malzahn says, By the way, he woke up this morning, his knee was swollen, we got checked out, and he needs surgery, and he's going to be out six weeks. Um, talked to Gus Malzahn off to the side a little bit more about that. Apparently, he didn't really notice how bad it was, Bailey, I should say, until he stood up at church, and he realized it really, really hurt, and he could barely stand up. Um, and he got looked out, and he actually was scheduled to undergo the... Uh, scope surgery i believe on tuesday i haven't heard any word on you know success uh, or, or of it but the expectation is gonna be out six weeks and maybe they have him back by georgia week um that's a big blow he's their six best lineman so anyway when gus announced that in that press conference sunday like everybody all the reporters you know we're pretty stone-faced everybody just went oh my god oh no my poor guy man he has that he gets his first start of his career as a senior, and then he gets he gets hurt in that game. And it, it might be his last game. I mean, of course, they play Samford later, but, <clears throat> you know, he's got to recover, and then it's about whether he's ready to get back out there and when he can get back out there as a backup. And, uh, yeah, it was like an audible just groan. It's like the air had been sucked out. It's like, yeah, he's our helmet sticker guy. And by the way, he's, he's out. He just, so that a little behind the scenes info for you um, about the Bailey Sharp announcement. It was just really one, like all of us as reporters just went, none of us want to see anybody fail at anything. But to hear about a kid finally getting a shot after all these years, could have transferred somewhere. And instead he, he stays here and plays and then gets injured. Um you know, it just kind of hits you a little bit. Um, so, yeah, Auburn dealing with a lot of injuries, but like I said, the good news is it appears going in the A&M game, they could be the healthiest they've been um, since the season opener. Obviously, they're still dealing with stuff, and things could change throughout the week, but they seem to be pretty healthy. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about Auburn A&M some games I'm keeping my eyes on this week, and then I'm going to answer a butt-ton of questions you guys uh, sent to me on Twitter. Thank you for doing so. We'll do that after these messages. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. When it comes to Auburn and Texas A&M this week, uh, I think it's as simple as this. If Auburn runs the ball successfully, if they get 150 yards plus against A&M, they win. If they get less than 150 yards, they lose. That that's, that's what I think is the key to this entire thing for Auburn. If they get less than 150 yards, they lose this game rushing on the ground. They have got to run the ball successfully to win this. One, because Bo Nix is going to need the help. Um, I know Bo Nix. He's been getting a lot of praise for his poise and the way he handles himself and his great communicator and all that. But he has never played in front of 100,000 people before. It's going to change the way he communicates and how he handles things. I don't care who you are. The first time you're in front of 100,000 people, it's a little bit different. Um, especially if you're a true freshman who's not, never even been on the sideline for a game like that in a uniform, watching it, let alone playing in it. So that's big. Um, and notice I'm only talking about the offense here because I think Auburn's defense is going to do enough to win this game. They they may very well hold Clemson, or Clemson, excuse me, A&M to three touchdowns or less like Clemson did. And their defense. I think Clemson's defense is probably better than Auburn's just because of everything they built there. But Auburn has what it takes to build this team, held this team to under three touchdowns. My question is, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, they've got to stop it with these slow starts. What is going on there? Um, but Auburn tends to settle down. And when they settle down, they'll be fine. And, uh, they just can't. They have to make sure they don't settle down when it's fourteen nothing. You know what I mean? And the offense is just praying for a turnover uh, that's returned for a touchdown or a punt return for a touchdown because the offense is stagnant. So anyway, th- those are just two big things I, I, I'm going to be talking about all week and uh, looking forward to seeing Saturday. Uh, by the way, uh, safe travels to everybody who is going to College Station this week. There's a tropical weather system. I believe it might be a tropical storm as, as of this recording is circling off the coast in, in Houston and is going to be rolling through College Station in Houston, which is where a lot of you will fly through. I know I'm flying through Houston, and it's going to be raining there all week, um, and it might even rain Saturday. We'll see because the system's slow moving, and it might stall out in central Texas, southwest, uh, southeast Texas, I should say, and central Texas. So uh, keep your eyes on the weather forecasts. As we know, <laughs> the last time Auburn was in Texas, there was some bad weather that went through Dallas, and man, it it, it messed up a lot of flights, uh, including mine. But luckily, I got there and safe travels, everybody. I hope everybody gets there safely. 
Um, you know, of course, other games across the nation I'm interested in, Notre Dame at Georgia, you know, that's a game where if Notre Dame loses it, I think they're completely out of the playoff picture immediately. I don't think it matters what they do the rest of the year. Georgia, they lose it. They could win out and still make the playoff. It wouldn't be a killer for them, even though it's at Georgia. But I think with Notre Dame and its schedule, and just because it's not an SEC team, one loss I think would do them in maybe. They might be able to make the playoff still if they went out. But I don't know. I get the feeling there's going to be – I get the feeling there's going to be a Pac-12 team that emerges. I just get this weird feeling about the Pac-12. That's all I'm saying. About like a Utah or someone like that coming through undefeated. I'm probably wrong, but we'll see. Um, but I got my eyes on that. Another game that really interests me is Cal at Ole Miss. Ole Miss just doesn't seem very good. They allowed Southeastern Louisiana to score a lot of points in a win last week. Cal's ranked number 23 in the nation. They've got a pretty good defense. I mean, the, the whole thing with Cal over the last several years has always been Cal's got a really good offense. Well, They've got a really good defense right now, and they and they had one last season too. Um, Ole Miss, though, which is probably the second worst team in the SEC West, uh, or, or it is. I don't think there's any, any arguing that is favored in this game by like two points. It is at Ole Miss, but that 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 just kind of tells me what the odds makers in Las Vegas think of the Pac-12 overall. But I'm really interested in that game. Um, I'm interested at Kentucky at Mississippi State as well because Auburn plays Mississippi State next week. Um, but outside of that, it's not a really great SEC games. Tennessee's at Florida. Florida should win that. Tennessee's pretty bad this season. Uh, but everything else is kind of a pushover. There are some really good national games this week that I'll keep my eyes on or try to while I'm working and on the road. Michigan at Wisconsin. Oklahoma State at Texas. Uh, Utah. As I mentioned, a team I'm really interested in, Utah at USC, uh, Washington at BYU, though I think Washington will win. BYU's playing pretty well here these last couple of weeks. So, and another game that I'm interested in just because of Rhett Lashley, the former Auburn offensive coordinator, SMU's off to a good start, and they have to go to TCU, which is right there in town pretty much for them. Um, TCU's favored, but, man, if SMU were to upset TCU, that would be huge for SMU and potentially for Rhett Lashley's career. So some good games to catch up on this week. Last week was just a terrible week for like marquee games, but you got number three, Georgia, number seven, Notre Dame leading the way. You've got number eight, Auburn, number 17, Texas A&M. It's a pretty good week on tap, particularly um, in the SEC. So I'm, I'm looking forward to those games, as should you. All right, I'm going to answer some questions here. I asked you on Twitter, hey, about to record a podcast. Send me your questions. I need your questions. And you guys did not disappoint. Some of these are very long. Some are written in broken sentences. It's Twitter. I understand. You're typing with a phone sometimes. But here we go. One question I got through a direct message, which is not following the directions, by the way. <laughs> but here we go. Charlie asks, question. It's kind of long. You ain't kidding, Charlie. <laughs> Does it seem like to you Gus thought he could win the Tulane and Kent State game on talent alone without a balanced game plan. And because of that, he used each game to implement a different game plan. Tulane, we wanted to work on the pass game. And Kent State, we wanted to work on the run game. 
using each game to evaluate that part of that offense. Perhaps I made Auburn look vanilla or plain and may even struggle, quote-unquote, at times. As a result, he has a much stronger and balanced game plan for use for Texas A&M, question mark. Whew, let me catch my breath. Um, no. <laughs> Just simply put it, uh, um, no, he didn't, I don't think they went into the two-lane game thinking let's pass it a lot more. I know Bo Nix threw the ball 29 times in the first half, but Gus Malzahn straight up said, I don't want to do that again. That's not what they wanted to do. They had to do it because they could not run the ball at all. They had 20 yards rushing in the first half, if you remember. So they had to throw the ball a lot. Then the second half, he only threw it, what, eight times? Because the run game got going. So no, he wasn't implementing... I mean, there are obviously different game plans. Every game has a different game plan. But it wasn't like they were trying to abandon run play action, which is what this team and this program has been built on under Gus Malzahn. Tulane, same thing. I mean, I, I don't... Or excuse me, Kent State. I, I I don't I don't see that. They kind of just ran their offense, but I do think you saw a little bit more of the zone read with Bonex, which I think you're going to see more of in the future. So if you wanted to take anything from those two games as far as game plan stuff for offense, I think it's Bonex running the ball a little bit more. Okay, Mark Oates at Auburn Tiger Motes on Twitter says and asks. Paul Rashawn, punt returner for A&M, is explosive. Aside from the make-them-fair-catch, is there any indication that we've done anything to improve punt coverage? Uh, Gus Malzahn really liked um, the shorter punts that uh, that Aaron Sipos had um, against Kent State. Auburn was able to you know, go after it um, and go downfield. For him, it's just about matching height with distance and timing. And Sipos was a little bit off, apparently, early in the season. That improved last week. We'll see against A&M. It better improve, or one big special teams play can kill you. Will Thrasher asks, what are the odds we see DJ Williams or Harold Joyner carry the football? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to assign odds to it, Will Thrasher, but I don't think you're going to see Harold Joyner touch the football carrying it. And DJ Williams, I don't know if Gus Malzahn is going to trust a true freshman to see his first action of his career at running back on the road again with 100,000-plus people in the stands. I just don't see him doing that. The past shows he doesn't do that. I don't see him doing that. And with Harold Joyner, I just don't think they want to put the ball in his hands to carry it. They'll run wheel routes with him. But I just don't think he's. they're going to run him as a running backs per se. Colton asks, do you think Gus has slant stragger? Oh, here we go. <laughs> Everybody assumes Gus only runs like two plays. Do you think Gus has slant drag routes and or crossing routes in the playbook anywhere? Or is it just outs and go routes? Yes, he has drag routes and crossing routes in the playbook. He has seam routes in there. Will Hastings is very good at those seam routes. He got a touchdown pass on it. Um, Sal Canella has come across the field. Will Hastings has, has ran, ran, has run drag routes across the field. Um, and the big issue I think with a lot of people's slants, you don't see a lot of these quick slants in Malzahn's system. Usually he just leans on bubble screens and other screens to kind of get the short game going and not slants. This is how he does things. I do think against A&M, their weakness, A&M's weakness, I believe, is their linebackers. 
and I think attacking them through slants would be a great thing. But I, I don't know. Uh, Warbloggle, welcome back to the show, Warbloggle, asks, who do you think you are? I'm the best. Southern Survivor asks, chances of us ever seeing the return of the orange face mask? Um, Southern Survivor, that's a question for like June, not the middle of the season. And I don't know. Doesn't matter. We get too hung up on football fashion sometimes. Barn Owl asks, how do I acquire big Nick's energy? <laughs> Well, I believe there was someone was selling t-shirts not that long ago. Um, I think you just got to have a calmness about you and an ability to not be afraid to back down from your coach and challenge your coach in the way they're thinking and also challenge yourself. You want to be able to get to the tippy top of the mountain and still only be halfway there. That's big Nick's energy. Drew Cater asks, did Kent State expose some weaknesses on our supposed elite defense? See screen passes, says Drew Cater. No. Um, Kent State was doing a lot of movement in the backfield as far as, like, who's the quarterback going to be? They kept moving guys around, doing all this trickery, and as we've seen with Auburn's defense, it takes a drive or two for them to calm down. I Auburn settled down. They did a good job, save for that one touchdown pass. Uh, deep, in which I think Auburn had a busted coverage there. I might be mistaken. Auburn did well. I don't think there was a weakness exposed there other than if you throw out all the tricks on the field there, maybe you can score on the first drive. Kenan's Crossing asks, can Moore, you know, Charles Moore, you mean, can Charles Moore come back to Auburn after junior college if all parties agree? Oh, yes. Um, on Tuesday, Charles Moore... Uh, left the team. The uh, defensive uh, lineman, true freshman, ranked the number 69th, nice, player in the country in this past recruiting class, left for junior college, Jones Community College, I think, in Mississippi. He's from Louisville, Mississippi. He actually signed with Jones um, and Auburn at the same time. And some people are going, is he going to community college? And no, he came to Auburn. But he obviously left. Um, wasn't doing well in practice, I'm, I'm, I was hearing. Um, yeah, it's possible he could come back, um, but I just don't see that happening. I think that's uh, the, the book's closed on that that story. Adam Clark, and by the way, Auburn's going to have to really, really jump on some guys on the recruiting trail for defensive tackle and the defensive line this year. Um, that's the one area they're really kind of slagging in and uh but the good news is rodney garner always closes on guys so we'll see adam clark asks if auburn gets <clears throat> by texas a&m given how the rest of the texas sec teams have performed thus far florida mississippi state arkansas is there a real path to the college football playoff assuming they go into a man corner or is that all man corner how do you guys say it with only a lost lsu oh yeah yeah i mean if, the, if Auburn's only loss heading into uh, Georgia is to LSU, if Auburn wins out, they go to the college football playoff. But they'd have to win out. That includes the SEC championship game, which would likely mean having to face Georgia twice. 
but that's a lot to ask as I, as you guys know. But yeah, I don't think a two-loss Auburn team would make it into the playoff um, unless, let's say, their losses to LSU on the road and let's say Georgia's number one in the country and then they beat Alabama and they're number one in the country when they face them. And then Auburn beats Georgia in the rematch in the SEC championship game, kind of like what Georgia did a couple of years back to get to the college football playoff. But I think Auburn would have to win out after losing to LSU. Daniel Killian asks, how did the injured players look in practice? Uh, I wasn't at practice. We're not allowed at practice. But I got my people. I got my eyes. I got my mouths. I've got my moles. I got my undercover people for Auburn Undercover there. And if you want the deets, you're going to have to read the VIP story today. I know I said I was out of salesman mode, but now I'm back in. You're going to have to go to auburn.247sports.com and read three things I know, three things I think. Callie Foshizzle asks, could Superman pick up Thor's hammer? Oh, yeah, certainly. The classic um, Superman that we all know and love from the comics could because he's so pure of heart. You're talking about a suit. He's not a human. You're talking about an alien from um, Krypton who came to Earth and instead of using his power for bad or for selfish reasons, he used it for good to protect the people of Earth and make them walk in the sun with them with him so one day that they would as as they said in the comics and also in man of steel that one day you know they'll crawl they'll walk and then someday maybe they'll run beside you uh into the sun and what that means is at some point they'll become as strong as him because one either through pure will you know emotionally and stuff like that by having a role model like that or you know procreation because <laughs> if he procreates and other people procreate blah 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 you're gonna have some supermen and superwomen around um but anyway so he came to earth was raised by a midwestern family chose to use his power for good protected his family hid, hid his identity went into journalism by the way a very noble profession and did all that. So yes, I think he'd be very wor worthy of picking up Thor's hammer. He he has the ultimate power already of being himself, and yet he's human. And I'll say this, I hate the Zack Snyder movies pretty much, and I hate Justice League, but there's a great line in there that could be used in any of these comic books, um, Justice League comic books about Batman and Superman's relationship. Batman in Justice League says um, his greatest power is that he's more human than I ever was or can be. I think that says it all about Superman. So yeah, he'd be able to pick Thor's hammer. Now, Zack Snyder's version of Superman? No, because he broke a guy's neck. Superman doesn't snap necks. Uh, anyway, God, Zack Snyder sucks. All right, next question, which is our last question. Zach Hurst asks, how much of a role will Joey Gatewood have against Texas A&M? I think he will have a role. He will play. 
and it's going to help Auburn's running game. They've got to get the running game going, and I think a spark to add there is Joey Gatewood. Does that mean he's going to play 10 snaps? No, I don't think so, no. But they're going to spark this run game any way they can, and you're going to see Joey Gatewood out there on the field. So that's it for the questions. Some good ones in there, some that we've heard a lot over and over again, but it's always fun to revisit, I guess. I want to thank everybody for asking questions. I want to thank all of our subscribers at auburn.247sports.com for listening and subscribing to our board and being on the boards. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much for the outpouring of support on the Christy Malzahn story. It was fun fun to write. It was even more fun to follow Christy around Saturday night. She is a fun, loving person, has a big heart. And I've seen it the last six years, and I wanted to share it. Obviously, she's kind of been a closed-off person um, for the last nine years or so, but she's really a great person um, based off the times I've been around her. Um, you know, there's a lot of off-the-record times. You're around people that you cover and all that and their families, and um, I think she's a great person and I wanted to share that with the world and I'm glad some of you responded the way you did. I think she's got a really big heart. All she does is want to help people and she's still improving herself every day. She kept telling me about that, about how she's improving herself. And she also didn't want to talk about others and players and stuff because she says she believes they have their own story to tell and it's their story to tell, not her for them to tell, but she's there to help if she can't help. Um, so it's an incredible way to go about life, particularly in a role where you're pretty much a mom, um, for a lot of these players, uh, on the football team. So anyway, uh, I really appreciate Christy Malzahn taking the time out and, and letting me follow her during the Kent state game and write that story. It was uh, a rare time where I didn't really just cover a game on a Saturday. It was strange, but it was a lot of fun. I remember just sitting on the couch talking to Christy and everything and realizing, oh, I'm not taking notes for this game. I had a notepad in my hand and everything. And, and like I kept I kept getting back into game mode when I saw something happen. Like, oh, that was an eight-yard gain, so that guy. And uh, she, I remember her asking me even at one point, goes, are you taking notes about the game too? How are you doing that? And I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just writing down pretty much everything you say because it's so interesting. But anyway, guys, thank you so much. Um, We'll have a roundtable podcast later this week before we head out to Houston. So look out for that and to College Station. Until then, I'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Undercover.